1: Barbara Hannay specializes in sparkling, feel-good emotional romance, and she's got nearly 60 books and well over 12 million readers to testify to the fact that there's a big following for her hope-filled stories. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today in The Joys of Binge Reading, Barbara talks about the power of romance and how in days of pandemic, more than ever before, readers want to be uplifted. But before we get to Barbara, just a reminder, you'll find a full transcript of this conversation on the website thejoysofbingereading.com along with links to Barbara's books and social media links. If you have any comments to make on our chat, if you want to give your opinion, please don't hesitate to leave your comments on the website. We love to hear from our listeners. But now, here's Barbara. Hi there, Barbara, and welcome to the show. It's so good to have you with us. Thanks, Jenny. Lovely to be here. Look, we're both
2: living in extraordinary times of pandemic. You're in Australia, I'm in New Zealand, and we're both in lockdown. Can you give listeners a picture of where you are and how lockdown is affecting you?
3: Right, well, we're living in Townsville, which is a city um, in North Queensland, Uh, and we're in an apartment, but it's a ground-floor apartment with patios front and back where I've got lots of pot plants to keep me happy, and we're also very close to Townsville Strand so we can go for beautiful walks along the waterfront and around Rose Bay. So we're we're well set up in terms of um, being able to exercise and, and, yeah, just get a little bit out. Unfortunately, we can't see our family, though, which is hard. Yes, yeah. you've got wonderful climate in Northern Queensland, though, haven't you? What are the temperatures like at the moment? At the well, it's it's a wonderful climate in winter. <laughs> in <laughs> summer, it can be a bit humid and tropical. But uh, yeah, we're still in the early thirties at the moment. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yes. in Townsville, yeah, yeah. Mm, that, that is hot, yeah. yeah. So turning to your writing,
2: you've you've really established a fantastic career. I saw somewhere that you had 12 million books sold, and that was a while ago now. So was there a a once-upon-a-time moment when you just decided you needed to write or your life would somehow not quite have the full meaning it should? Or was it always there as a
3: long-term desire? It was actually a little bit of both. I, I did love... making up stories right from when I was little, even before I knew how to write. I used to draw pictures on pieces of paper and pass them through the flats of orange boxes and make my sister sit down and watch these movies that I'd created. Um, And then later when I joined the Brownies, the first thing I wanted to do was the writer's badge, causing my brown owl some consternation until she found a tester for me at school. English was my favourite subject. But given given that that strong desire, I never actually thought of myself, ever thought about becoming an author. I think that's probably because I didn't come from a family that was at all that way inclined. My dad was an engineer. My mum had worked in the bank. They weren't big readers. They were gardeners. So the main things that came into the house were gardening magazines. I used to go to the library, though, and, you know, I, I, I kept up my love of reading all, the, all through all that. But um, when I got a job, I became a teacher, an English teacher, though. And, and then I had family. When the kids were little, I'd write stories for them and they'd illustrate them. But it wasn't until I was teaching a, a Year 11 class, a unit of popular fiction, and we had to look at, action-adventure, detective novels, and romance novels. And uh, I saw these, ro- I'd never seen a Milton Boone before at that point. Uh, and I so I looked at these, and they instantly made, reminded me of the books I'd loved as a girl, all the Anne books and the little women and, you know, the classic girls' stories. they all mm. had romances in them. Mm. Um. And at the same time, there were other teachers saying, oh, um, you know, Milton Boone, you know, we, we were actually having to pull, pull these stories to pieces and be very clever and um, analytical and talk about the stereotypes of the characters and the predictability of the plots. But at the same time, I was thinking, but these these are fun. And, and um, I thought, I actually want to have a go at one of these. I suppose it, it sort of helped that we had a really horrible um, principal at the time who was sacking staff left, right and centre and <laughs> people were having nervous breakdowns. But, I, I mean, I was at, my job was okay, but it's still, you know, possibilities of doing something else did did appeal. And um, so I, I wrote one over the Christmas holidays thinking it was the most brilliant thing ever after having read two Nelson and Boone um, and sent it off and and got a rejection. But it was a nice enough rejection. There were things they liked. And, and already, having sat down and actually written 50,000 words of a story, I was hooked. This is what – I I just knew it was what I had to do. So I kept trying after that, yeah. That's wonderful. So
2: you are now published by three different publishing houses as far as I can see. You're still doing some Mills and Burn. You've published by Hachette and by Penguin. So you've got yourself well accepted over the whole range of publishing really from what is considered the more popular right through to the more literary. Um, But did you start with Mills and Boone?
3: I did, yes. Yeah, I haven't written for them for a few years now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and 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 to be honest, the Hachette books that you see there are probably reprints of Mills and Boone's put into anthologies. Oh. Okay. Than, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I have also written a couple of. I'm just writing a second um, story for Chule, which is a little um, American digital-only publishing house, which is they've been fun too. Yes. Outback bride books. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, you you've got a lot of books there online because you have been writing. For quite a few years, I guess, now, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, how yeah. many
3: books in total have you got in publication? Um, I'm j- I, Well, I'm just finishing my 57th. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's
2: <laughs> tremendous.
3: Yeah.
2: Now, yeah. the two new ones that you've got out at the moment, you've got The Summer of Secrets, which is a delightful story set in northern Queensland in a local newspaper, and Meet Me in Venice, which is an Australian family who go... And Holiday in Venice, and both of them qualify as being sparkling, feel good, emotional romance, which is what you describe yourself as liking to do. Um, is it hard to kind of cater for different publishers doing that kind of thing? How do you differentiate between them?
3: Well, writing, writing that, those stories have been written for Penguin. I think I've written about nine what we call single title novels or. Um, yes. Penguin. Um, and I think really the only difference is that I can expand myself. Like, I, I write just as carefully when I was doing my Mills and Boone stories as I do now for these stories. But I can have multi generations, I can have um, dual timelines if I want to, because I've enjoyed including some um, World War II elements into some of these stories. Um, with flashbacks for older characters, um, I can go into more issues. Whereas the shorter category romances just focus on the the, the hero and the heroine and the romance, and they don't like too many secondary characters. Yeah, but the tone and the feel is probably very similar in in all my books.
2: Yes, you say on your website you've got a mission statement that as a romance writer you want to give readers an uplifting, heart-wrenching fantasy while keeping it believable. And I wondered if you could explain to us a little bit how you managed to do that, keeping the fantasy element but also making it believable.
3: Well, first of all, I'll I'll work on the emotional element first because I do think readers like to have their emotions engaged. Um, So I always try to make sure there's a situation that I know will be an emotional one, whether it involves, uh, often it involves some kind of loss for one of the characters, they've lost their job, a broken relationship, lost a loved one, or there's been a serious mistake they've made in their past, something that will be very involving um, at an emotional level. Um, I try to make it believable by making sure my characters are well-motivated so that whatever they do, you understand why they're doing it. Um, But I think for me, the fantasy level probably comes from the, um, you know, just being swept away by the whole romance of falling in love. But also the settings. Um, mm. I don't. Mm. I don't go in for wealth and billionaires and all that sort of thing so much. My, the fantasies I create are more about um, going to a different place, a place that that might be different for the reader who might be busy in a city, hard at work, you know, traffic and all the rest of it. I I I, I suppose I try to make my settings a bit like a faraway away. Dream. Yes,
2: space. <laughs> yes I, I do really agree. Having um, I have actually read both these latest books and both of them, well, you just got yourself lost in the environment and, and they're both very beautiful or pretty and I suppose the Outback ones, I haven't read the Outback ones, but I'm sure that they also have that same feeling of, of scope and an, an amazing world that you enter into. Um, do you manage to go to all these places yourself or do you just... Dream it up.
3: I have tried to write about place, mainly places that I've been to, yeah. Um, I had another book, The Country Wedding, that I wrote just before the Summer of Secrets. I've got the World War Two section set in, or just before World War Two, actually, set in Shanghai, and we did go to Shanghai um, to, to to check that out, and I have been to Venice. Um And I lived on the Tablelands where um, the Summer of Secrets is set. So, yeah, I do do try to write about places that I've been to. I think the only one that I haven't been to that I I was um, Bangkok, but I only took my character there for a couple of days. um, In uh, Oh, yes, in the the Summer Summer of Secrets. Secrets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It
2: sounded to me, that was interesting, actually, because I thought there were references there, you know, like the favourite hangout for the journalists in Bangkok and so forth. You must have had some research or contact or journalist friend to help you understand exactly, you know, right down to the local level where he would have gone and what he would have seen. Did you? Oh, well, did I'm, you <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. So I'm glad didn't.
3: it sounded convincing. <laughs> Well, I don't know too much about Bangkok, but it really sounded convincing to me. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I've had people write and ask me, um, can I give them more information on um, where the real Venetians live in Venice too? Because I put a lot of attention to that. But I must admit, we writers do um, have a bit of poetic license with some of these things. Just, you know. Adding, try you know. I mean, I try to be as authentic as possible, but of course, it is also fiction. Yeah, it
2: is an imagination, imaginative story. Yeah.
3: Yes, yeah. Um, but
2: did, in Venice, did you actually stay there in an apartment? Because you, you feel as if you did actually spend some time. No, in oh, you sorry, did. we were oh, only but, in yeah. hotels. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Now, Meet Me in Venice was described by one reviewer as deeply Australian but full of international colour. All of your books really do major on the Australian aspect, don't they?
3: I guess so, yeah. Mm. I guess I can't really help that. No,
2: no. I mean, I think that's part mm. of their popularity. But it's a heartwarming story about a recently widowed woman who decides to bring all her family together in Venice for a holiday, which is her deceased husband's birthplace, and some unwelcome family truths come to light during this supposed dream holiday. And I'm sure readers are always asking that question, how did you think up the story? But what was the genesis for that story?
3: Oh, good question. You know, it's a really funny one with that story. I... um, I, I was putting in a proposal. When, when we were going to get new contracts with our publishers, we have to put in proposals. And I put in a proposal for another idea, um, and I had to put a second one in. And one of my friends had told me about a widowed friend of hers who was going to gather all her family together. I think she was going to get hers to go to Edinburgh for Christmas. And I, I thought, oh, that sounds like a an interesting story possibility. But I just threw it together really quickly that they'd go to Venice um, and, and and just as a sort of a one-liner for my publisher. And she got back to me and she said, oh, we really love this second idea. Do you think you <laughs> could work it up? So then I had to really push myself. It took me actually quite a while because normally the stories have been brewing by the time I you know, put mm. in the proposal, but this mm-hmm. time I had to push myself. Um, but I also had a friend who had a son who was in um, Silicon Valley, as Mark is in that story. Yes. Um, I, he'd been a, a, a genius at school here and, you know, gone off. So he inspired that little element. And my own daughters have been very into the arts. One of my daughters is now... Um, uh, music teacher, head of music at one of the big schools in Brisbane. The other one was a professional dancer for many years before she went into OT instead, occupational therapy. But I've been the mother of girls with artistic dreams, so I understood what it would be like to have um, the daughter who was the um, actor in London. Yes, who, yeah. Yeah, so it it came from all little bits and pieces of my life or the people I know. Yeah
2: yeah, and I suppose most of the stories are like that the summer of secrets you've got two people as you mentioned whose lives have fallen apart in very different ways and they both end up in this small northern Queensland town almost trying to get away from their past Um, the same combination of deep emotion and people needing to heal and rebuild and a really nostalgic sort of setting. Um, I guess, was that together in the same sort of way from partly people you knew and partly imagination?
3: That was more imagination. But I had been... um, My husband was a journalist, so... And he, when we met, he was on a small country newspaper. So I sort of knew a little bit about how that sort of thing works. So... Yeah, a bit from my past, but a lot, a lot more from my imagination, probably with that one. Yeah. And with
2: the romance aspect of it, it's very much more the emotional romance than the than the actual acts of sex, isn't it? Just yeah, mostly yeah. they are an emotional journey, but they are very romantic. Do you think oh, that why, is that one of the reasons that romance is still the most popular genre in the world? Because Apart from all the exciting sex, it is
3: just so deeply emotional. Yeah, I think so, and I think um, I think people do enjoy read, like reading stories that that still believe that romance is possible. Even even people who whose uh, whose own lives may not have been as um, romantic as they would have liked, or, or people who've, who who are happily married, perhaps you know, who know they're only ever going to have fallen in love once or twice in their lives, so they, they don't mind doing it again via books. Um, <laughs> it's a great way I, to I look think, at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I sort of think love's one of the best things that we humans do, you know, so... Yes. It's um, it's something we do, do like to, to see on the page, yeah. Yeah.
2: What do your readers tell you they like best about your books?
3: Um... Well, it changes from from book to book. Probably a lot of a lot of people do appreciate the North Queensland settings because I don't think a lot of stories have been set up here. Mm. So that's been something that I've been able to have as unique to me, to me. Um, and when I I did I wrote about five that had World War Two elements in, and they probably got the most reader email. Um, possibly from older readers who appreciated having Australia's or, or stories of World War Two that hadn't been told much. Mm. Um, like a lot of people didn't know Townsville got bombed during the war. Um, I had a story told from New Guinea in the jungles of New Guinea, and I had people writing to me whose family had actually lived on the missions in New Guinea. You know, so yeah, mm. Mm. Uh, great, yeah. Mm, That's what sort of thing.
2: So, yeah. Turning now to your wider career Away from the specific books Is there one thing you've done More than any other That you'd credit as being
3: The secret of your success? It's going to sound really boring But I, I just think Hard work yeah. <laughs> You know Like Like I had a had a dad who brought me up on the whole, you know, a job worth doing is worth doing well kind of yes. let's start. So, so yes. I just put my very best effort into every single story. Um and editors seem to appreciate that. So Yes. Um whether it it doesn't make me a um, mega bestseller though. So <laughs> so there's probably a an element of daring or something in my personality that I could do with you know, that would help maybe, I don't know. but Yeah. But, you know, sort of a steady career that yes. Yes, has been useful. Yes. Yeah. And how long did it take you from the time when you
2: were, wrote that first Mills and Boone to, to getting a book accepted?
3: Took me four and a half years.
2: Yeah, well, that's yeah. a really, that's a definite persevering journey for a start, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah. I think, and I have think, i 've been really disappointed with a lot of people i've met who've wanted to be get published who just aren't prepared to to hang in that long you know they they give up after the first rejection, mm. which has always disappointed me yeah mm. Mm.
2: now you had as you mentioned you had a few years at Atherton tablelands living out in the country out of out of Townsville I'm not quite sure what distances we're talking about but I've seen pictures online where you seem to have this idyllic kind of country life with pigs and things there but you're now back in Townsville mm. tell us a bit about that country life and was it hard to move back to the relative city I mean Townsville
3: isn't a big city exactly but no no you're not in the yeah. co- quite exactly in the country anymore no no we were on an acreage on the side of a hill with lovely views and um You know, had a nice garden to play with and patches of rainforest and, yeah, it was beautiful. We had it for about 15 years, 10 years full-time, and we loved it. We did love that life. We played at being farmers more than, you know, we had chick-chooks and veggie gardens and pigs that my husband turned into ham and bacon. So I guess we just got to the point where, well, actually, my husband had a heart attack last year, and we started thinking about you know old age and needing to be mm. sensible and closer to mm. facilities, so that's why we've come mm. back and mm. And it was it leaving was hard, but now that we've settled in here we're, we're we're quite happy, and we we think we've made the right choice, yeah,
2: and it looks like from your pictures online you you're part of a community garden, so you can still do the sort of fingers in the soil thing if you want to.
3: Exactly, yeah. Mm, mm. Mm.
2: Look, it's interesting. This The last interview that I did just last week, we got onto this topic of how the pandemic is affecting writing, and I suddenly started to realise there were going to be a whole lot of ramifications that we hadn't even really started to think about. My interview last week was a, a Kiwi author called Bronwyn Sell who was doing romantic comedies, and she said one of them in a Sunday type island resort and she was doing book two and she had people flying in and out of this resort and she suddenly thought it's meant to be published in February. What if the lockdown is still happening? What if people can't fly into Australia from America at, the, at that time? Um, should I try and rewrite the whole thing or what should I do? And it started to get me thinking about... How publishing and storylines and things might really be affected by the pandemic, and I wondered if there was anything in your coming work that might be affected in that way. It was just a
3: thought that yeah. crossed my mind. <clears throat> well, we've been—I've been talking about that with writer friends um, too. We've—I've we've, got a group of friends that we normally go on a retreat every year together. At, the Gold Coast, well, if you can retreat at the Gold Coast, but you know we gather <laughs> yeah. at the Gold Coast. um, and this year we've had to do it by zoom and we've we've kept it up, and we were actually talking about this last night, um but we've decided, and some of them have been talking to their editors, and they've agreed that readers want the normal world in the book, yeah. they don't want to worry about like. The the pandemic's going to be um a shock and it's going to be raw for some time ahead, but I think they want the, the um the escape in their reading. So they don't particularly want the pandemic in, in the stories. So Yeah. The one I'm writing at the moment that I've nearly finished, it's a little Jule book. Um I had started before this things got bad, so the world was already set up and I've been okay with writing that, but I must admit the one I want to write next for Penguin, I haven't got my head in the right place yet as, you know, I'm going to have to get rid of the pandemic, I think. I don't want to write about it, but I'm mm. pretty sure it will intrude. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's hard to ignore it,
3: isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, even mm. watching TV, sometimes you see people getting too close together and you sort of want them to... <laughs> Back <Yeah>. off <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right Look, turning to yeah. Barbara as reader Because this is joys of binge reading um, mm. You say I imagine you've been quite a, 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 An addictive reader over the, over Your lifetime I mean, What are you liking to read at the moment And are you binge reading anything at the moment Well I've
3: just discovered uh, a UK Author called Jenny Colgan I
2: think Oh she's yes In, in
3: Scotland And I've read her book, um, The Shop of Happy Ever After, and I'm definitely going to be reading more of hers. They're lovely, um, light romances, but with with a bit of depth to them, to the characters, um, and set in Scotland. um, Well, this one was set in the Highlands of Scotland, so I certainly enjoyed escaping up there. I've um, I've enjoyed... um, Similarly, um, similar kind of stories from Lucy Diamond in the UK. Um, read all of hers, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an Anne Tyler one coming out that I'm very keen to read. I love reading her books. But I also like reading um, nonfiction when I'm researching for my characters. Yes. And stra- strangely... Um, just before all this started, I was reading a book called Lost Connections, which is about how depression is often caused by, you know, lack of connections in people's lives. And that was going to be the sort of central theme of my new book. And now, of course, we're all so disconnected. It's, yeah, it's it's yeah. feeling a bit weird at the moment. Where, yeah. Where, where my thoughts are going to go in that direction. But, yeah, I do find some non-fiction um, books good too.
2: Yes, yeah, that's lovely. Um, Looking back over your very long and successful career, if there's anything that you could change,
3: what would it be? (laughs) This is going to sound really trite, but um, I'd probably change my name. (laughs) 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 When when I first was published by Mills and Bean, I'd chosen a... um, a non diplume, the but they said, Oh, we like your real name. <laughs> so I I stuck with it. Um and I don't dislike my real name, but I just sort of think Barbara is a you know, it sort of puts you in a certain age bracket, which possibly wouldn't yeah. you know, maybe if I'd chosen Lucy or, you know, something younger. Um anyhow. Um uh, yeah. but apart yeah. from that so apart from that I I'm happy enough with how other things have gone. I feel quite lucky, really, that I've been able to hang in there um, for twenty years now. And, yes, you know, still, still got another contract being offered. So,
2: yeah,
3: that's Not great.
2: That it, yeah. So. Mm. Um, so. So, what is next for Barbara, the writer? What, what have you got looking ahead over the next twelve months? Do you what kind of writing pattern do you establish? Do you sort of have a few months off between each book to kind of gather your thoughts together, or do you have more than one manuscript going at the same time? How how do you approach it?
3: No, I'm I'm one, one at a time girl. I I'm finishing off this little short romance and then I'll put yeah at least a month or more aside to do more reading and thinking before I plan my next and it usually takes me about six months to write the first draft and mm. then, of course, there's the, uh, there's the the rewriting and the editing and all those sorts of things that take up a fair bit of time as well. So Yes,
2: yes. So the next one that you've got coming out, what have you got a title for that one yet?
3: Yes, yes. I've got one supposedly coming out in August. As far as I know, it still is called The Sister's Gift. And that and is set on, on Magnetic Island, which is just off the coast here. That's another idyllic setting that I had a lot of fun writing about. Yes.
2: And is that a penguin or a Tula?
3: A penguin. That's a penguin. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. – um, that. actually, you you remember Freya, um, the friend of the widow yes. in the yes. Merchant Events? Well, it's Freya's mm-hmm. story. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, she, so Daisy um, has a very minor role in this book. I, I like to have little links sometimes between, you know, the books. Uh, yeah, but this is Freya's story and um, it's a story about surrogacy. That's what the, sis, the gift was. When she was mm. very young, Freya had had a surrogate baby for her sister who was infertile and um, she thought she was doing this amazing, generous thing, but it. Turned out to have all sorts of ramifications she'd never expected, so actually, it's funny that you yeah. mentioned
2: about a link because when you said earlier that you you had been partly prompted by a friend who'd gathered her family in Edinburgh for Christmas, it just flashed yeah. through my mind. or oh, that could be another one in a similar series to the Northern Queensland one, that, you know, another, oh, no, sorry, the Venice one, another family reunion type theme, but
3: in a different <laughs> yeah. place and setting. But with a whole <laughs>
2: set of other characters, it would be a completely different story.
3: It would be, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So thought there, so. Look, um, <laughs> Thank I'm, you. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure your readers love interacting with you all. I imagine that some of the time you manage to do book tours when when it's possible, but how do you interact with your readers
3: and where can they find you online? Uh, well, I have a website and there's a contact um, link on my website, just com, And I have a Facebook page. Um, I have a blog that I don't write very often anymore, unfortunately, uh, and I, I am on Twitter and Instagram, so all those those usual places. And I do love hearing from readers. It's it's the thing that keeps keeps us going, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It is.
2: Yeah. I guess that the sisters' gift might be affected by. Would you normally do at least some speaking around a book release?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah. But Mm. No,
2: it's August. Is a bit too far away to really know, isn't it? Yeah, but Australia mm. m- seems to be managing this very well. I mean, I gather they're, they're one of you're one of the most tested countries in the world. I've, I read somewhere. Is that right?
3: I'm not so sure about that, but um, mm. certainly our our curve is flattening nicely. So, mm. Mm. and mm. I think they're just watching what happens over Easter, hoping everyone's very. Well behaved and stays home over Easter. Yes, the same yeah. here. Mm. Mm. Well, but um, yes, look, we're very we're very grateful to be in, in Australia, and as, as I'm sure you must be in New Zealand too. Oh,
2: yes, yes. Mm. Breaks my heart to see what's happening in some of those third world countries.
3: Oh, absolutely, if it
2: hits, it'd just be just so ghastly. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, we, we want to talk uplifting and 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 warm things, and you. have Done that for us today with these books of yours which are so emotionally uplifting. Thanks so much, Barbara, and all the very best with the next books.
3: Thank you very much. And thank you, and, and all the best with your writing
2: too. Yeah, so I'm I'm very much beginning at the other end of the scale. But I have discovered that I love it, even if I I I'm finding it difficult to really do the marketing side of it, but I am loving the writing,
3: so <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's the main thing. Yeah. It's lovely to talk to you and I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
1: The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com, or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right, and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone, as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both lighthearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website, That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.